one. Are you surprised to see me here? Well, you shouldn't be because it's Swedenborg Live. That's right. We're going to hang out and talk about spiritual point of life type stuff. And I wouldn't rather do it with any other than my two special guests today. So would you introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Karin Childs, community care manager and writer at Off the Left Eye, and I'm really happy to be here with you today. And I am Cara Dom. Uh, hello? Yes. Yeah, you're there. Uh, thanks. I'm the Latin consultant for Off the Left Eye in the New Century Edition and part of the community care team and happy to be here on this Friday afternoon. Awesome. So you, all of you out there know my panel guests through many different ways. Like when you write your comments in, they're, they and the rest of their team are responding to them. As Cara mentioned, she's in the very Latin that we, we have to peruse through to give you the Swedenborg stuff in the first place. So it's awesome. I'm so glad to have both of you here. Can't wait to get everyone's questions just so you guys know if you're watching live in the chat. That's where we take all the questions from. So what's on your mind? What do you want to talk about? Put it in and you just make it picked. Today, we are also looking for some support as we do on the every show. We offer a little incentive. We are not for profit. So if you all chip in and support, that's how this happens because we're not selling our products. We're, we're giving them all away. Uh, so to every week we set our goal, our dollar goal by a number. And this week it just happens to be $230 for divine love and wisdom, 230. So it's a mighty goal. If we happen to hit it, we'll get an extra 15 minute bonus. Either way, your gifts will give us the ability to keep going. So we really appreciate it. Here's the quote, the divine love and wisdom 230 that will get us out of our, of the world mindset into our spiritual world mindset. Since the Lord is love itself and wisdom itself, he is also usefulness itself. You ever think of the Lord as usefulness itself? Since love has useful functions as its goal and puts them into effect by means of wisdom. Apart from usefulness, love and wisdom have no definition or boundary, no dwelling. This means that we cannot say they exist or are present unless there is a useful function in which they occur. The two elements of God don't exist unless something useful is happening. The usefulness is not just a sideshow. Okay, let that be our compass and our guide. Start typing your questions in. Let's hear how you answered our question first. As we always do, we have our community poll. This was the question this week. In case you missed it, you can still think about it. What is a physical life tool or practice that helps you stay balanced and able to pursue spiritual growth? Karin, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. What, what do people have to say? Yeah, here are just a few of the responses. They're great. Uh, some had to be trimmed down just to fit more in, but uh, so wonderful. So uh, first one, Christian music on the radio. At home, I'll sit down with my latte and watch your videos. Surrounding yourself with positive influences is key. Mm -hmm. Prayer, gratitude, meditation, being present with family and friends, being useful, helping people. Nice. Turn the television news off. <laughs> Sometimes it's what you, you don't surround yourself with as well as what you do. Meditation to activate third eye and crown chakra to connect with the spiritual world. Nice. A personal friend who reflects when I'm imbalanced in a loving way. 
not always an easy relationship, but what helps me the most on my spiritual growth. That's great. <laughs> you got it. You can't just have yes people around you. Yeah, that's right. Art of all kinds. Mine is landscaping. Yeah. Hey, you can come to my house. Oh. <laughs> Please <laughs> express your art. Okay. Please. The wife does counted cross stitch and baking. Lots of baking. Me, I just listen to music and try to brain dump negative trash from the day. I always try to remember who I am spiritually. I try to let go of the ego that this world tries to persuade me with. Yeah, remembering which part of you is the real you. Meditation or even just quiet time alone away from all distractions. Very important. A sleep mask. Nice. Hey, there you go. Meditation, prayer, music, laughter, playing or being with children, dancing, creativity, service to others, teaching and learning, reading spiritual material. Great list. I talk to my deceased loved ones every day and always finish with the Lord's Prayer. Your channel, Swedenborg's writings, the Bible, and NDE and after-death communication stories. All great stuff. I was just talking to my mom today who had passed away in December. So <laughs> that is a good thing to do just yeah. in my mind. Meditating in Om and not getting caught, not getting up until I know the life I am. Music frequencies, the Bible and the word discovered everywhere. Nice. I wake up early and sit with some coffee and read, study or watch whatever I am immersed in. I keep an audio diary. Some of my pr most profound thoughts occur while driving. <laughs> I found that too. I do, a, yeah, I do a 5,000 step walking workout every day. I am so grateful for the internet, watching spiritual videos and then buying books. Quite miraculous, really. Yeah, it's quite a, quite a wonderful resource. Walking helps me clear my mind. Reading when I'm sitting in the sun at the beach with the water washing over my feet is soothing. I am reminded how much God loves me. Lovely. And finally, deep breathing and grounding myself through controlled breath has really helped. I find it really helps me stay balanced, calm, and grounded. Awesome. Thank you. And there's more there on our social media channels. So go check it out. Wonderful answers, everyone. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for participating in that and giving us some good tips and tools for ways we might want to try to give the spiritual a physical boost. Uh, and to make life better. So appreciate it. Hey, I forgot to mention when I was saying we're trying to hit our goal today, that if you want to help us hit it, you have to go to offtheleftdie.com slash donate. That's how you get there. So hey, donate. I'm just not going to tell you where. Offtheleftdie.com slash donate. Every bit helps. And so thank you so much for considering. First question is really fun. Colin Vickers asks, if Swedenborg were sitting with us today, what would the panel folks ask him? AKA, what are the current frontiers of Swedenborgian scholarship? Although that does seem to equate what we're wondering about with the state of Swedenborgian scholarship, which I don't know if we can really make that assertion, but I love the question. If we had a fourth in this panel and it was Swedenborg, what would we say? And it, it, you know, he said, okay, ask me anything. What, what would be on your, your mind? Cara, what do you think? Um. I would like to hear him uh, talk about the perspective he has from 250 years later or something like that. For instance, um, some people 
you know, some people take his what he wrote in the 1700s uh, as it, you know, and some people think, well, that was a start and maybe there's other things to learn and other things to grow about. Um, and one topic in particular that I've heard uh, Swedenborgian followers throwing around a lot is the nature of hell. Um, because some Swedenborgians think that hell absolutely has to be there all the time as a balance. And some people th think that, but you're never stuck in hell forever. You could grow and grow and get out of there. And so I'd just be curious what, what he sees now about that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it would be nice to clear that up. So <laughs> are you just taking the long route? And yeah, is hell written into existence so somebody's got to be there for the rest of us to get balanced out that doesn't seem super fun cool i i can't wait to hear his answer on that what, what do you think karen well uh yeah lots of things swedenborg intriguingly said to somebody when he was near death that oh if only you only you could know all the things i was not permitted to write right now <laughs> and so there was more that he was seeing and learning that he wasn't supposed to write yet. And I'm sure like, and he would say himself, zillions of more things that he hadn't learned yet because you just keep learning to eternity. And yeah, I'm sure there's been lots of progressions and changes in the spiritual world as well as has been happening on earth. Um, personally, I would love, I personally would love to know some of the um, unanswered questions about things Jesus said. Like someone was just asking me, recently, uh, why did Jesus sometimes say he would heal somebody and then say, don't tell anybody, but they would anyway. <laughs> and somebody asked, why did does Swedenborg say why Jesus said that? And I have never found Swedenborg explaining that. So there's a lot of things. And like, why did Jesus, why was the covering that was on his faith, uh, face in the tomb left carefully folded separate from the other? <laughs> so there's a lot of little uh, details in the in the New Testament that I really wonder about and feel like are would teach us more about the Lord and everything. <laughs> so I would love to learn more about that. And then also to be able to uh, have a sweeping view of more about the story uh, that we've been going through, the human race story and where it's going. I find lots of wonderful um, indications about that. And I tend to believe that hell will become less and less necessary <laughs> for balance. That's just my um, thing, but I'd love to, yeah, just know more and more about that sweeping story and, and uh, the journey of the human race, the human journey. So just a few things, but there'll be endless things I'll be wondering about. <laughs> Why do you think Jesus said, don't tell anyone? I actually had somebody asking me about this as well recently. Did you, did you have any like hunches or thoughts on it? I did not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, told, okay. I told the person that that I, I I had never found anything, and I wish I I could answer it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, what I said to them, and I don't know if this really counts as a thought because it's more of just a feeling, is something that it's just that we think about the feeling of someone doing something really nice for you and saying, "Don't tell anyone." Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like that 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 has a certain feeling that comes with it. Yeah. And there's some kind of, I don't know, it's an extra layer of 
friendliness or something. Uh, so that, that's as far as I got. Yeah, that's that's intriguing to think about. And maybe it could be like Jesus himself was not doing healing for glory or anything. He was just, it was the love pouring out of him. So yeah, I wonder if that has something to do with it. And there would be yet more meanings of why it was written down and that the people did tell anyway. And But that, yeah, that's a good place to start. Hey, yeah, there's so... Sorry, I just have to jump on that. Um, somewhere in the Arcana, I remember when I was working on translating it, there's a great little passage that says that in certain places in the Bible, the emotional content of what's happening in the literal story is the inner meaning. Yes. And so to to think about that, Curtis, in terms of what's, what's the feeling of him saying, this is our little secret. Like... <laughs> You must have you must have been the first person that brought that to my attention because I was thinking of that when I was making that comment. And isn't that passage talking specifically about when in the Old Testament somebody's saying, "What is this you've done to me?" And that's the grief. The grief in it is the the same feeling mm -hmm. that Jesus had when he had to give up sort of some knowledge that he had built up in his youth. Good for you. Something like that. You remember more details than I do. I was just, I was just stunned by that little statement. But that stuck with me. Like, yeah. okay, well, yeah, you, 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 you may not know what the correspondence is, but you can know how it feels. And isn't that often when the Bible is giving you something that is, feels good it's it's not always connected to what's happening in the text it just feels a certain way to read something yeah, yeah. what i was going to say is that we're on the board sauna gave us a donation so we are marching toward our goal we thank you so much thanks for making our content happen again if we hit our goal of 230 we do an extra 15 minutes so go to off the slash donate and make it happen the cube asks if life will not be different after we die and we're still under the influence of heaven and hell then when we get to heaven will we forever be free from hell because i know when i'm thinking about a glorious afterlife and i'm slogging through this life and it, all of its confusion and complexity and i attribute that to the muddling influence of hell Certainly, I think, well, I can't wait till I'm free of hell. Or is it just is it always heaven's coming in one side and hell's coming in the other? Can we ever get to, ah, and like everyone's waiting for the end of the pandemic right now because you're going to be able to relax. So is there an end to the spiritual pandemic in, in the mind? Do we finally get free of that? Yeah, Karen. I, my answer is yes, because the state of heaven is a protection from hell, like it's, um, uh, I, I read something, um, yeah, in Spiritual Diary where Swedenborg was experiencing, uh, experientially um, having this idea of, uh, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden like, and my burden is light. And this idea of a yoke, like holding Swedenborg out of hell, <laughs> you know, like gently holding him there. And then I'm thinking of another description that had to do with the last judgment in the spiritual world and people getting sorted and some people rising up towards heaven. And um, Swedenborg said something like, um, God 
uh, cannot uh, violate his rules of allowing people free will. So he cannot just, uh, you know, force people <laughs> to to not choose hell. But he, what he can do is those who do choose to turn away from hell, he can gather them to him and and protect them from hell. So it's if we consent, absolutely, heaven is a state of being protected from falling into hell. And even though uh, people in heaven continue to go through cycles of development, um, my impression is they they can go back, uh, like sink into a world of spirit sort of state for a while and deal with some of their stuff and get rid of it, but it's never hell anymore. Hell cannot access them. They are protected because they they have chosen to let the Lord's love in, which which uh, hell is allergic to <laughs> and and just can't approach. So yes, there will be relief from this onslaught of hell once you get to heaven. <laughs> That's the definition, like it's a protection from hell. Kara. Lovely. Oh, uh, yes. I too think that that is, there will be a relief when... Um, if that's the choice we make about where we want to invest our hearts. Um, that said, Swedenborg does talk about the sort of daily cycles of morning, noon, afternoon, evening. And he talks about that in, in terms of being in a closer or a further sense of feeling the Lord's love or the Lord's truth or something like that. So there, there will still be some, you know, gradations, it sounds like. But that's different than having the equal influence of hell. Yeah, because Swedenborg is adamant. In heaven, there is no night. Well, there's night, but it's really this, it's like the twilight just before dawn, which I couldn't, if I didn't have a clock, I wouldn't know. But he, he, he makes that point so many times that it must mean, yes, it, life is not always great, but it's not like night it's not like now when we have you know this this whole mess that we're in i love it yeah i love those those thoughts um and so the cube when when the cube is saying after we die we're still under the influence of heaven and hell it's talking about the phase swedenborg described as the world of spirits there's almost a physics answer to this question a spiritual physics answer to it because as karn was alluding to there heaven is protection from hell. So right now, the only reason why hell can attack us in all the ways that it does is because we have material in us that allows them to access us, our selfishness, um, our wounds, whatever it is, bring allows for hell in. But the world of spirits process is this sorting where you, you either make the good dormant or make the evil dormant because you can't continue to be both. So by definition, by the time you're through that process and in heaven, your vulnerabilities are just way different than they are now. So there's, you could look at a microscope and see not just you're not getting attacked by hell because there's no hell walking by right now. It, it's literally impossible for you to be attacked in the same way uh, when you're in a certain state of heaven. So great question, Cube. Let's, uh, let's see if we can't fit another one in here before the end of the hour. Annalise Hamilton asks, is an out-of-body experience in dreams also a sign of spirituality. I've never thought about that, having an out-of-body experience in dreams. Have uh, either of you heard about that or, or have any thoughts on it? Karin, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. Um, I wonder what, 
uh, what exactly Annalise is, has experienced that she's describing here. Um, is that you're in a dream and then you dream of going out of your body because in one sense, uh, a dream just in itself is an out of body experience because you are, your physical body is dormant and yet you are having experiences in a dream. <laughs> you're in a dream scene, things are happening, you're feeling, thinking, hearing. Um, so I'd say dreams themselves are out of body experiences and are a sign, one of the many signs that we are more than our physical bodies, you know, that we have a, a spirit and a life that's beyond the physical body. And if you, are dreaming in addition <laughs> that you are going out of your body in a dream. That's really cool. And um, I definitely have uh, read here and there in Swedenborg's books, descriptions of a similar thing happening in the afterlife. You're, uh, people are no longer in a physical body, but they can actually be maybe in the world of spirits and go to sleep. And then a higher part of them goes into heaven to be shown something and then comes back. So this was like a, in the afterlife out-of-body experience, because like in our show, uh, Your Spiritual Body, we talked about there's actually a different layer of body for each level of the spiritual world, and you can be in one on a lower level, but given a little time to soar up out of that and then go back down. Um, so yes, I think it's all evidence of um, spiritual experiences of various kinds. So maybe if you're everyone who dreams, <laughs> or even if you don't remember it, is experiencing that we're more than a body, and if you're dreaming yet another layer, uh, maybe you are experiencing a little bit more of this, this concept that there's even more, you know, like there's even not just one layer of the spiritual body or the spiritual world. I was just reading Divine Love and Wisdom, where Swedenborg is describing how if angels from the second heaven climb up into the third heaven, they don't see anything there. That it's really just like you have the physical world and we can't see the spiritual world from it. There's really a lot of distinct layers in the spiritual world as well. So that really jives with what you were just saying that you could be having a dream. I'm in the dream world, right? Well, there's a dream within a dream. And I would imagine it couldn't be bad <laughs> to be doing that. Uh, and hopefully the dream itself was, was fun and destructive and everything like that. Alan, thank you, Alan. Alan has made a contribution. Yeah. We are up to $75 total raised. We are yeah. on the way. We can do it, everybody. That's off to leftie.com slash donate. Thank you to those who have already donated. Carl, what do you think about this uh, whole subject we're on? Yeah, I, that was my first thought too, that Karen said just a dream is an out-of-body experience. But um, I just wanted to say out loud that every single person in the world has spirituality. I mean, she asked about also, is it a sign of spirituality? Well, we can't get away from having spirituality. Anybody who thinks or feels is experiencing spirituality. <laughs> and how, how we hold that, how we, what we make that label mean, that might have a big variation, but we're all spirits having a bodily experience, right? Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, oh, I love bringing that out broadly. And oh, I can't say anything about that right now. Because I got to say thanks to Anonymous. We made a <laughs> donation. We're up to ninety dollars. We're we are almost there. Thanks everybody so much. Off to leftdie.com/slash/donate. It's interesting because Swedenborg does seem to make a 
big distinction between spiritual phenomena and morality and that he would really call being spiritual. How do you define if someone is spiritual? It's that they're moral. It's that they're a nice person. He talks about the, the spiritual way to act is with love toward the neighbor and love toward the Lord. And he has all kinds of accounts of people who can do a lot of spiritual kind of stuff, all sorts of spiritual powers and things, but they're using them for evil. And so he wouldn't call them spiritual, even though they can, he talks about evil spirits that can project their voice to be anywhere and zoom appear uh, far away and close and bind you up in all these ways. He wouldn't say they're spiritual, even though they've got all this. So it's not, the barometer is not how much unexplainable stuff is happening to you. It's how nice are you? That, that would be how Swedenborg, I think, would define this, this spirituality scale. So yeah. I'm glad that you uh, brought that to our attention. Great point, Curtis. Great point. Hey, thank you so much. <laughs> I, like every show, well, maybe every few shows, I'm going to make a good point at some point. Uh, <laughs> hey, Doreen, thank you. Uh, Doreen made a contribution. We're now up to $140. Woo, Within $100 of, of making that extra 15 minutes of fun. It, either way, the stuff you've already given is going to help power up programming from this week and on. So thank you so much. Next question. This is from Riggle Piglet, who asks, has anyone ever felt a personal connection to Swedenborg as if he was present and involved in their thoughts? Sounds like a Swedenborg-y thing to be involved in someone's thoughts. So have you had that? Cara? Well... I have not, but I can tell you, I wish I had because <laughs> just working, working on trying to translate the, his writings and I've worked on most of his titles. There are just so many times when I wish I could say, Swedenborg, what did you mean by fill in the blank? You know, some Latin phrase and, and Latin is very concise in its language. And so a couple of Latin words might turn into, you know, eight or 10 English words to try to convey the meaning, but it's not always clear how those two words are sticking together. For instance, one I've been working on is uh, the good of use. That's what the Latin words are, the good of use. And like, that's got to mean something really pertinent yeah. in our world, but it's hard to figure out what phrase that is. So I wish that I had had Swedenborg just sitting on my shoulder saying, and what I mean by that is, you know. Yes. <laughs> I apologize if I had known you would take this so seriously. <laughs> I've put a little more clarity in there. That does remind me that I never answered our first question. But oh. what, what would I ask Swedenborg? Do, oh, should, yeah. Should I do it now? or? Do, yes. Yeah, do it. Combine the two. Yeah. What is important to be working on now? I can't tell, obviously with off the left eye, we're operating under the assumption that Swedenborg's works, and yes, they who knows how much updating they could get or how much expanding they could get, but still they are maybe the most deep and have the most potential of any material that anyone's got anywhere in terms of what they could do for the human race. 
And I wonder, and he was, when he was publishing at his time, he was trying everything he could to get the works out. He would give them to people. He would, he would travel and talk to influencers. He would try to get it done. What does he think is the most important thing to be doing right now? Is, is his stuff have enough of the right material in it that it's still of utmost importance to try to get it to everyone? Or where, where, where is it happening in the world? You know, where is, where is the, the thing that his mission was calling for happening in the world? What, how will we best spend our effort? I think it's that we can take what he's got and augment it with, with modern, you know, science and things when necessary and make it into a form that people can use and start to change their lives and change the world. But I'd want, I'd ask him like, is that right? Is that, are we still doing that? I think so, but are we, are we? So that's what I would ask him. Uh, okay, thank you. Karen, what, what do you think about either that or um, the, oh yeah, have you had the personal connection with, with Swedenborg? Um, what I would respond to what you just said is as one of the community care moderators, I feel like this is very useful to keep sharing Swedenborg's works just because of all the people that have told us it's changed their lives for the better and given them hope and given them a new way to connect with God. So well, I don't need to ask Swedenborg then if yeah. it's doing good here now. I just it. answered you. <laughs> get out of my thoughts. I don't need you there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it doesn't have, definitely doesn't have to be the only thing, but I think it's one of the useful things we can be doing. And that's, so that's our role here. But as far as connection with failing a personal connection to Swedenborg, well, as we were um, talking about before the um, emotions in in the Bible, when you read uh, that that's there's real connection going on there with um, angels and God. And also when I went through uh, times of intense grief and learned to look for like when I'm feeling an emotion, that can be a real connection with somebody. Um, and so I started to think that way, like uh, rather than because I do not get obvious like visions with people talking to me or I'm hearing something or seeing something, but I sure get feelings that I've come to notice like, wow, somebody's, you know, like I'm connecting with somebody. And so with that, uh, when I'm reading Swedenborg's books and I feel like, oh, you know, like, wow, that is really, that is really touching my heart or that's exciting my mind. Um, I feel like I'm communing with my friend Swedenborg <laughs> then and any angels and other people that are, you know, um, that are resonating with these ideas and, and trying to use these ideas um, on and on. So I feel like that's a personal connection, not just to me, but just like, like anyone, if I wrote a book and somebody's feeling affected by it, we're having a, a communion of spirits through that, you know, or anybody that does any kind of art or effort, we do commune through feeling affected, through feeling our hearts affected by um, what somebody worked on. So that's my answer to that. <laughs> I do feel like I've communed with him in that way. That's uh, a cool way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, to answer the question, I would have said, no, I don't think so. I've had people since I started doing a lot of talking about Swedenborg in off the left, I've had people say, Oh yeah, I can, I can see that Swedenborg is around you, but I never felt anything like that. But I like what Karin's explanation is. And also I think, well, Swedenborg had to have his angelic societies that were around him 
and his material ha had to be, you know, coming out of a certain part of heaven. I mean, that was one of his main teachings is that we're just part of a community. None of us are solo originating anything good that's coming from God through heaven in some way into us. So it could be that as we get more interested in the ideas of Swedenborg, it's connecting to whatever heaven he's in, not even necessarily because he's there, but because what's there is interesting uh, to that heaven. So I, I like it. And you, yeah, but I like what you're saying, Karin, about, yeah, if I wrote some book and somebody was getting such, well, just like it off the left eye, we're so glad to know when something we do helps somebody. And when we get to hear about it, it does create this, okay, it is good what we're doing. I'm sure, I hope Swedenborg knows that his books are, because when he released them, there wasn't that many people saying this is so great. It was mostly panned or mocked. So I would hope that he received a lot of, well, that's what all that hard work was for, that it could, it could give somebody that hope or that comfort or anything. Yeah. And he would be the first one to be saying, and it, any good that comes out of it is from God anyway. <laughs> so, but he would be loving to be part of, you know, be part of that. Just like all of us can uh, just have joy in our little, our little roles we play that bring yeah. God's goodness to others. All right. Um, so let's keep going. We're halfway through. And I think I can say that with confidence because the goal of 230 was so high. We're never going to just reach it. So this, what Son donated, we are now at $240. Oh. We have made the goal. Thank you, everyone. We will give you a token extra 15 minutes as a, a symbol of our gratitude. But really, we hope you see the value in what you're doing is that you create the next show we made to send out to other people and give them that touching of the heart we're talking about. Um, San said, great content. Would love to speak with you guys. Keep up the good work. Talk to us. Write it uh, off to left eye at gmail.com or leave a comment at in any of our videos. We will connect right with you and we can chat from there. We want to talk to you. Oh, and by the way, Stephanie gave and we're up to 290 now. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. it, Stephanie. Thank this you. is so great. All right, let's get serious about these questions then. Should we? Okay. Joan asks, there are so many people having different kinds of near-death experiences. Are there different heavens for different religions? I feel like Swedenborg has some great stuff to say about this. Um, so what is it, Karin? Yeah. Um Swedenborg witnessed a, a heaven, a spiritual world and a heaven that is full of variety. I mean, just, it's not one static thing. There is a beautiful harmony, but it's made out of tremendous diversity. And God knows that everybody will have a very unique way to um, connect with God and to, and to serve God's purposes of, of, loving the neighbor and serving the common good. And so, and, and, but it's all like we've said many times on this channel, just like the human body, it needs this variety. In fact, there's one place in uh, that I'm remembering Swedenborg's writings saying that it's not just like a tolerance to God that there's all sorts of different religions. It's like important. <laughs> it's important that there's different ways of relating to God because that variety is needed to make the whole thing work well. And so there is a lot of variety in heaven. There are three main levels of heaven that Swedenborg describes, but within those levels, there's tremendous variety and, 
And so in a sense, and he calls each community in heaven, a kind of little heaven. So in that way, yes, there are different heavens, you know, meaning there's different ways that heaven is expressed and you can call them different heavens. They, they all interact uh, in the grand scheme, but um, yes, there's a heaven for everybody. There's a heaven for different kinds of groups of people. Um, uh, sometimes Swedenborg does uh, describe different parts of heaven that uh, people from different religions on earth tend to gravitate towards. I think those kinds of differences that were based on earthly uh, earthly concepts um, kind of dissipate as you go higher in the heavens, um, but, they, but they're there available. You know, if, if the, uh, um, it's available that people of certain faiths can gravitate towards um, people that they can relate to, angels that they can relate to, and... Um, on, on that journey. So yes, and people's uh, NDEs being different reflects who they are, you know, reflects God's loving customiza customization of who they are, what they need at that moment, what would reach their heart the best, and uh, what is the best way to guide them along closer and closer to God. Focus on user experience. <laughs> yes. There, Swedenborg even talks about there being a system that ensures that if you're religious in a certain religion, the people who come in first teach you on the other side are of your religious background, which I'm assuming is because they'll know, they'll know what matters and, and how to talk to you. And yeah, these the different ways in which God is worshiped do not bring problems, but bring perfection. Uh, that's paraphrasing, but yeah. you, you have to have these different kinds of worship to get the full machine of human uh, connection to God. Any, any thoughts, Cara? Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Not, not only is it tolerance, but yeah, the line is that perfection is made up of variety. I mean, perfection, that's a pretty, pretty high standard, but yeah. it's the variety. It's all the differentness that makes heaven perfect. Um, and I also wanted to say just, Today, I was uh, reading in The Secrets of Heaven about how in the passage in the Bible that talks about a dwelling place, that God has a dwelling place for us all, that that dwelling place means the communities in heaven. And so, um, yeah, there's lots of different, uh, different uh, configurations of people and, and how we, what we love and what we care about most, so. Absolutely. That's great. Okay. Well, there you go. I, I told you Swedenborg had these great bits of knowledge about the question. So thank you, Joan. Appreciate it. Let's see if we can't delve into the, the mind of Robert Martin, who asks, studying Swedenborg is like stuttering, studying history, is it not? Then by studying Swedenborg, we can better choose what path we want to take. What do you think? I read that like those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. That we are seeing not just these principles that Swedenborg is outlining, but we're also seeing how he approached these principles and lived them, particularly in things like his journal of spiritual experiences and his journal of dreams, where it's immensely helpful. Get that. But yeah, what, what kind of thoughts does this stir up for y'all panel people? Um, yeah, that's, that's a fascinating way to think of it. And I, I find um, Swedenborg's books a fascinating combination of timeless, timeless principles that can just 
you can get value out of in any time, you know, um, any time period. And also, he was also speaking to a certain time period that was in a certain spiritual state at the time. So you can see that playing out as well. So for instance, when he says something is rare, like true marriage love, that that's not going to stay that way forever. It, you know, we're, we're going to progress towards that being less rare and things like that. Um, but also uh, Robert's comment makes me think about Swedenborg's um, explanation of and guidance that we can see this in the Bible story too of this history of the human race and how we how we got to where we are right now, you know, this, this story, this grand story of a innocent is, which is just like the story of a individual human growing up, you know, a time humanity starting in this time of innocence and couldn't do anything, but love God, just like a little, little child or toddler can't not <laughs> love, love their parents or whatever. And then growing into different stages where there's a little more questioning and then rebellion and, and, um, just looking at that and and learning from Swedenborg what he was seeing in the mid 1700s of how, what uh, religion had fallen to, you know, th this is very useful. I think what he says about like, wow, look what happened when people um, separated um, religious belief systems from love and caring. Like this, this was a disaster, and that's a history we can learn from that's relevant to our own individual lives. Like whenever I would, uh, you know, take up an opinion I have and take love out of it, I'm going to fall into that same thing. So I think there is, uh, that's a fascinating way to think of it, Robert, that um, there's, there is a lot of history in there, spiritual history, like what happens, what is actually seen in the spiritual world, what's going on on the spiritual level when we just do these things that we might not think much of, like spout an opinion with having no love behind no caring for the other person behind it. So uh, those are some thoughts that you have sparked in me. So thank you. Very cool. Yeah. Cara, do you have a uh, thought sparked by thoughts? Uh, <laughs> the thought sparked in me is connected to the previous question, which is um, uh, studying. I I've just gotten a few comments lately in the um, moderating I do about people that are studying other religions and noticing the parallels that like they're studying Swedenborg and other religions at the same time and, and finding the parallels. Um, so I just have to say, by, let's see, the question says, by studying Swedenborg, we can better choose what path we want to take. Yep. And studying other things too will also enlighten your path. Um, just because uh, God gives truth through so many different avenues and everything that comes across our path is just an, a, an opportunity to reflect and say, wow, does that line up with how things look to me or how the Lord has me feeling about this or that or the other thing? So um, variety uh, leads to perfection. <laughs> so. The call back. Yeah, good. Well, that's great. I, I love getting to hear the perspective uh, from both of you. Like I was doing a mini history lesson. I was studying your perspectives on studying Swedenborg. And so I learn again. Let's do another one. This is from Nana Rosebud, who asks, in the world of spirits, do we still have our organs, liver, heart, etc.? And do we have bodily functions? Yeah, 
Uh, and this, I think, has a sort of a complex answer to it. But Karen, kick us off here. I do think there's a complex answer because I'm going to start by mentioning one passage I came across in Spiritual Diary, uh, Spiritual Experiences, Swedenborg's Diary of Spiritual Experiences, that um, just in passing said, well, well, of course, spirits no longer need like their digestive organs, you know, like, um, because <laughs> we, we hear a lot from Swedenborg about like, like eating food like we need to in this world doesn't happen in the spiritual world. It's a different thing. There's a, actually love and truth are the food and drink in spirit and people can, can eat sometimes because just for um, enjoyment and camaraderie and correspondence and things, but it's not necessary. Um, but I think it probably is complex, but that's the only thing I've come across him saying about digestive organs. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming, you know, people wonder like, do you still have to go to the bathroom in the afterlife? Um, it, in On the heavenly level, what Swedenborg will talk about is angels have a heart, angels have lungs, angels have a brain. So these kinds of organs are definitely still there in, in heaven. But I wonder if it's something, you know, the lower level organs are different because you're not needing that kind of processing in that same way anymore. I don't know. This is speculation. Um, and then that speculation alert, speculation yeah. alert, speculation <laughs> alert, disclaimer, disclaimer. Um, that also makes me think about the correspondence of the whole body. Sometimes Swedenborg will say things like the highest heaven corresponds to the head, the middle middle heaven corresponds to the torso, the, you know, like and the, and the correspondence, like the correspondence of the lower digestive organs have to do with the processes that happen more in the world of spirits, for instance, you know, the so kind of sorting of things. So it just makes me wonder if there might be like actual bodily differences between world of spirits and <laughs> up in the higher heavens, as far as what's inside your body, we definitely still have a body. It's definitely still has substance. Um, I think the reproductive organs are still there though. They don't reproduce babies, but there is sexual intimacy in heaven. So usefulness correspondence <laughs> might, might uh, indicate that there, there are differences on what's inside your body, depending on what level you're at and what is, processes are needed anymore. <laughs> well, I love that speculation because I was grappling a bit with for a long time until I heard of that passage that you mentioned, which you probably mentioned to me. Oh yeah. You got everything in your body that as a spirit that you do as a person, that's one of the main interesting things. And, and you think that as well, because he's so adamant about the correspondence of the grand human being with every single part of us. And he talks about, but I like that, the idea of, oh, yeah, is, is there certain organs that are more corresponding to the spiritual world? Because you definitely have a heart everywhere. He talks about the heartbeat of the different angelic societies influencing his heartbeat. You definitely have lungs everywhere. He talks about the breathing of angelic societies influencing his breathing. But the abdomen, you everything in there. And I get it because that stuff is a pain. It always misfires and malfunctions and can never keep it happy. Carl, do you have any thoughts on the whole thing? No. <laughs> but I love hearing you guys talk about it. <laughs> okay. Hopefully our audience feels the same way. I, I don't know how many people are, are still watching, but for those that are, 
we're going to continue on. This is Keith Curry who asks, is it possible that Swedenborg influences the topics of your shows each week? And I feel like this gets back to my answer to the first question, which is I, in Swedenborg, following the history of his life that you get as referenced in another question, you get the portrait of a man who initially had a, certainly had an interest in religion, but was more interested in his career. But then after all of these spiritual experiences, he hit this point of no return where the thing that matters to him is being a tool to get God to be able to save the human race. Like, like I'm going to try to be an aid to the divine purpose as much as I can. So he's probably still all about that. That's still probably what he's doing. So I'm wondering with him being plugged into that, how tuned in or how interested is he in the state of his writings in the physical world? Because you could see a scenario where that, yeah, there was divine providence, which made it so that this really important packet of information came through Swedenborg. It wasn't quite the time for that. I'm going to switch metaphors for that seed to sprout yet, but it's still a really good seed and there's big plans for it. And so he's, he is interested in, okay, now the world is, there's, there's the internet. So people can share ideas more that people are less dogmatic. People are ready. Science is starting to paint a picture of the world that the physical world that seems more like the spiritual world. And so he's interested in continuing to get his writings to spread because they're going to serve some purpose. And so he might look at the different efforts around his writings. And I don't know if he can, or is a society involved in and try to influence it. Or is it that he's off doing something else that we don't have names for? Or he's influencing some other part of whatever. I don't know. So there's my response to it. Karin, what do you think? Yeah, what I'm imagining is because um, any efforts we on earth are doing, we have societies of spirits and societies of angels within those efforts, like working on the deeper parts of those efforts. The angels are involved in the goals and the motivations and then the spirits are involved in the more specific thoughts and ideas of how to get to those goals. And so I'm imagining Swedenborg with the role that he ended up playing on earth that, um, that he would in some capacity be continuing with his society of angels. Now he would just be one of those many angels. He wouldn't want to be anyone special in there uh, better than any of the others. <laughs> so he's just with his, with his teammates there. But I feel like it makes sense that they would still be involved in these goals of trying to spread information about God and heaven um, to people on earth to try to reconnect heaven and earth in a stronger way. And so I think in that way, Swedenborg and his team <laughs> would, uh, I, I imagine, yes, them being involved in our shows and in our, you know, in our efforts by keeping the goals inspired, because that's what the angels do. They just keep, keep uh, trying to motivate your heart with those goals. And then however we uh, choose on the lower level to go about trying to achieve those goals, but it's really the goals. And as far as, but I, I don't, I don't know, you know, I, what I don't picture is Swedenborg being concerned, like, oh, I wish they would choose that topic instead of this topic, because even in his earthly uh, stint with his <laughs> role here, he was having to sort of re redirect 
you know, he was trying this, okay, secrets of heaven, I'm going to explain the whole Bible to you. And oh, that's not working. Let me, uh, okay, let me try this. Let me try this. So he was so ready, even as an earthly person to just like, uh, switch gears and try something new. And, and now he would be totally handing it over to the Lord. So I don't picture him, um, like directing us, like do this, not that, but he'd just be always feeding us with this. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it going. Keep it going. Like try, keep trying all the ways to, um, give people hope about God and heaven and eternal life and providence and things. (laughs) So that's more how I picture it. Nice. Yeah. Like not, not micromanaging. He doesn't need to micromanage, (laughs) but, uh, just that we care, like we've got this passion about these things, um, that we believe in that could be helpful. And that's how I picture the whole concept of spiritual communities in heaven. So I dare say that those types of spirits are around us all the time and keeping our fires lit as Karen says. Cool. Good. Well, I, thank you. Very good. Um, so let's, let's move on. We got a, a interesting question here. San Ken asks, what is Swedenborg's view on Krishna? Has God come in human form before Jesus? I noticed in the Gita, a reference to sun and moon as God. And Swedenborg does have a famous description of God looking like a sun to the right eye and like a moon to the left eye. So what, let's talk about the divine human. I'm not sure I know that much about Krishna. I don't know if either of you feel like you do, but we can talk about has God come in human form before Jesus? What do you think, Karin? Yeah, um, in our recent show about the ancient word, um, we were talking about how Swedenborg learned of the um, tremendous connectedness between world religions um, because they're all going back to this common... um, this common scripture called the ancient word that would have developed long, long, long ago, the the very dawn of writing and everything that had all these um, stories and symbolism about God, for instance, God as a, as a sun, God as a moon, you know, that those kinds of symbols would have existed in the ancient word. And he describes a, a long story of, of in the story of humanity in which, Gradually, as humanity got more uh, interested in materialism and less interested in loving the neighbor, which is what keeps us open to those uh, deeper meanings in scriptures and things, um, the symbolism in in the ancient word kind of got scattered into all sorts of different religions, and then the deeper meanings were were lost. But it's still in there. You know, you can still see the symbolism everywhere in all the different religions. So though um, Swedenborg doesn't uh, do much to um, specifically mention the Eastern tradition scriptures. Um, <clears throat> absolutely, he is saying in the Eastern parts of the world, uh, there was the ancient church, what he calls it, which knew all about this symbolism and knew that the sun and the moon meant God and would have absolutely had these stories like of, of Krishna. It has been noticed that the story of Krishna is like the Jesus story, you know, that there's similarities, just like in the Egyptian, was it Osiris or, you know, there's these, these similar stories with different characters, but this, the story is so similar. And that uh, Swedenborg would say is because it is telling the same story of God um, incarnating 
And, and in the ancient word, it would have been um, predicting the incarnation of God coming eventually. And that's why the solstice was important because that represented that and, and all this. And so, um, uh, you know, everyone has to decide for themselves what to believe about this. Uh, what I find in Swedenborg is saying um, Jesus coming to earth was the actual incarnation and that that he would Swedenborg would say that happened once in time, but affects all people. In fact, the whole universe and all these other stories are reflections of that incarnation and are telling the same story and therefore can have the same value in them because really that story is not only about one moment in history and one certain group of people that that affected right then, but it's about how God incarnates in each one of our lives. And so that's the important thing about that story. <clears throat> so it can be that story and that ability to recognize that God can come into our lives in a very real way can be accessed through, um, you know, all these different religions, that same story is there. So even though Swedenborg says <clears throat> this physical incarnation happened, this one time in time, Jesus Christ, still the same, the story is for everybody through all religions, if that makes any sense. <laughs> of course it does. No, it's a great, it's a great summary and explanation of the importance and universality of the Jesus Christ phenomena. And it makes me think of um, the human form that even though, as Cara mentioned, he says there's only one time when what Jesus was happened, which is God, the divine soul is in a human body and lives out an entire life in a physical body. There's something called the divine human that's always been there. And Swedenborg talked to even cultures on other planets who knew of that divine human. And he calls that divine human the Lord, which is the Swedenborg does, which is his term that he uses to refer to Jesus. So Jesus is in all these cultures. There was the incarnation of Jesus, but that's not when Jesus started. If That's not when the divine human started. Right. The divine human one has, is a term that Swedenborg will use to try to expand that idea, to, to not have it be a limited idea, but an expansive idea for all people. That's Kara's term. Right, isn't that a new century edition translation? Oh, the divine human one, yes, because divine and human are both just adjectives. So, yeah, give it a, give it a, you know. So he just he, Swedenborg just gives you those two adjectives in a row. We got it. Yep, there must be a there must be a subject in there somewhere. That's right. A predicate, probably. Am I getting closer? Okay, <laughs> you're doing great. <laughs> All right. Hey, hey, guess what? We are now just on the verge, so I'm going to announce that we are in our bonus round. Boom, 15 extra minutes of this one because you all were so kind and generous that, and believe in the mission that we're trying to accomplish here that you're helping us accomplish it. So thank you so much. If anyone's watching this afterwards and you want to support this programming, go to offtheleftide.com slash donate and you can be part of spreading this good cheer. Saturday Abraham asks, what is the effect of this coronavirus in the spiritual world and how are the angels working on it to neutralize its effect? Yeah, really, we're all down here 
we got our masks and our medicines and our vaccinations. And we put in quite a lot of work. What are they doing in heaven to, to stop all this stuff? Cara, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. Um, I mean, I have no idea, but <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> Get that out of the way. That's right. <laughs> so we're, uh, you know, speculation alert. Um, <laughs> heaven is working on our spiritual response. Um, and that is in the face of challenges like this, how do we treat the people around us? How do we uh, go about having different opinions than the people around us? Or what have we learned through this whole thing of sticking like uh, the isolation and the quarantines and all that? What have we learned about how we treat our family or the people we live with? It's that level I think that the angels are more concerned with. Uh, they don't have the power, I don't believe, to come down and fix up physical matter in this world. Um, but I sure have been doing a lot of work in my spirit about this, about the whole thing, much more than I'm worried about the physical this is a that's of what's going on with the pandemic. But it's been a big growth spurt for me in spirit. That's great. I love thinking about that. And the certainly the you could dismiss the spiritual side as well. The real problem is the physical. We need to get rid of the virus. But how much of the suffering in this whole pandemic was because we don't all get along and we don't function effectively together? I mean, how much could, if the whole human race was cued in on let's, let's, work for the common good together, I think we would have been able to handle this very easily as a world. I mean, we've got the technology, we've got the people, but I, I love the idea of, okay, the, the real importance here is what's going on spiritually. Karen, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I love, I love that, what you said, and Kara, you hit it right on the head, as far as I'm concerned, that just like I was saying earlier, angels, uh, they are involved in the level of goals, and and, be, and why that's so important, we might on earth think the important thing is everybody's sick, <laughs> but physically sick or, and we're scared and we don't know what to do. But the goals, if we can get the goals straight, like Curtis is saying, of loving one another and of just focused on how can we support each other through this, actually, that is going to heal the physical problems over time in this world too, because the only reason Swedenborg learned the only reason we have troubles and diseases and things in this world is because we have um, gotten all this pollution between us and heaven um, because of getting caught up in selfishness and materialism and conflict and divisiveness and things like that. And so it might not seem to us like that important <laughs> what the angels are working on, but that's the most important thing because that's what's eventually going to bring more heaven energy into this level. And we have less and less of the diseases and the problems and things like that, because it's, that is the effect. So I think um, the way, yeah, just like Cara was saying, what they're doing is helping us to grow spiritually, to try to remember what's important and to try to work on when I'm scared, still, how do I treat people? 
when I disagree, how do I treat that person? How do we try to work together to, to uh, solve things? So that's what the angels are working on. Very cool. Yeah, it's good to think about them up there doing that. Any final thoughts out there? Uh, yes, I have another thought. Um, I learned not too long ago that after the Civil War, when there was a massive amount of death in our own country, um, the book Heaven and Hell became a big deal. Swedenborg's Heaven and Hell because there were so many people dying and so many people were like, what the heck, you know, what's next? And I, I'm wondering if this um, pandemic has had any kind of effect on the human race at large about consideration about the reality of a next life, um, I'm just curious. Maybe it's done nothing but terrify people. But um, part of me is just holding that the Lord's in charge of our lifespans and the different things that cause us to leave this world way out of our control. Um, I don't know. I just for me also, it's been a more um, practice on getting comfortable with the fact that death is part of life. And how do we just fold that into our daily existence? It's, it's a tough one. But I, I think it's, it's something that's on our plates, you know? <laughs> that's right. That's, that's a great point. It is really forcing all of us to look at life in a new way. I, I, I think about everything differently now since the pandemic. I, in the beginning of this answer that we started giving when we were talking about angels looking at making sure we're treating each other well, there's another category, which is just people's ability to endure. And it seems to me like, it feels like, yeah, just despair and hell is just trying to sap everybody's ability to endure. And so now I look at things that when I see people like, you know, they got their masks on and they're running in a little group outside, I think, well, that's gonna give them some, some uh, energy that they, they've got friends and they're getting together. And like, even around Christmas time, uh, the lights that we saw, I thought of in a different way because I thought, oh, this is bringing joy and and you know, you've got to be able to find a way to endure. So heaven's got to be in that as well. Uh, and maybe it's getting us to think about things more. It's a, sort of a spiritual temptation for the whole human race at once. And we should come out of it, hopefully, a little more spiritual and, and spiritual in Swedenborg's sense, call back to the previous question of more open to the of what's really important and seeing things clearly. So, hey, I think we can get at least one more in here. This is from Mariola Stepaniak. Stepaniak. According to Swedenborg, do some angels take human form and live on earth? I should let that person in because they might be an angel. <laughs> is that, does that happen? What, what do you what do you think? Well, uh, Swedenborg would, uh, Swedenborg presents what he learned is that it doesn't go backwards that angels come onto earth and take a physical form and become, uh, people on earth because, uh, Swedenborg learned from the angels themselves and from his guidance from God that every angel started out as a human on earth in, in physical life, that that's the way a person is created, that, we, we all start out, we 
a little spark of God <laughs> um, grows into a baby and is born and that and then through through a physical existence for however long that lasts we uh, get this individual identity and then we move into the afterlife and continue to evolve and grow um, if we have chosen uh, a path towards goodness we evolve into an angel and then we um, don't come back to earth but we are influencing people on earth you know we become we become that part of the equation, the, the, the deeper motivations and goals that continue to um, help people on earth and inspire them. So um, we on earth can be inspired by angels anytime and be acting, acting on behalf of the, the goals of angels, which are to, to love each other and um, which are, of course, God's goals ultimately, but to love each other and help each other. Um, so that's how angels come to earth through us through our actions, um, rather than them coming physically. There you have it. I think it's a great summary and great explanation. There was one time, you remember that the story that we've told a few times about the little girl who talked to Swedenborg and wanted to see an angel. And so it goes, who knows if this is really true, but he said, okay, okay, come over here. Lifted up a cloth and there was a mirror because she was an angel. And this is a key teaching of Swedenborg that angel is a state of mind and it's something that we're all progressing toward. So you would think some people have maybe already progressed and you have some people who are, if there is some kind of dividing line where their spirit is now firmly among angels in heaven. And so they have some, they would be an angel, you know, right away if they died today. Swedenborg does talk about some people who go, almost right up to heaven or right down to hell after death because they don't need much more sorting. So there's going to be some people who maybe are, yeah, they're angels living here. They haven't been to heaven like since in the sense that they've lived there for a while and come back, but they could be all the way plugged in. So you, you do have an angel in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Great. Do you think we uh, have time? Uh, we do have time for one more. Let's do one more. This is from DB who asks, this is the, our last chance to get it right, these questions. What does Swedenborg say about those who think the angels that greet us at our death is actually Lucifer or demons trying to deceive us? And I've heard this before, like, don't go into the white light because it's demons or something. Can, what do you think? Karin, can you clear this up? Yeah, I've, I've been so sad about <laughs> that belief that's been spread around and I think it must be hell spreading it around. I, I often ask people, so where, what's your, if, if people say, you know, declare that to us, like, don't go into the light. It's a deception. They're going to grab you and recycle you back to earth. I ask, where did you get that information? <laughs> where did you, no one could tell me. And I think that's because it's false. And there's, um, I think a, a mixture of, there are a, a Bible reference or two that to watch out for, you know, demons can uh, disguise themselves as an angel of light, but uh, which is just a warning, like, and I've heard from people who have had spiritual experiences like this, like a spirit, if you, if you uh, open up somehow to awareness of a spirit around you, they could start by um, pretending to be somebody good, but, but after a while, uh, it gets more and more shady and, and they're actually an evil spirit. And that, 
definitely can happen. So I tell people, you know, like pay attention to what the angel, <laughs> the angel quote unquote is saying um, to tell if it's a, a good or evil being. Um, but that's a different thing than dying. And this is so important that what Swedenborg learned is that during the dying process, everyone is completely protected from hell. So he witnessed that that would be impossible during the dying process for an evil spirit to get in and take over somebody and fool somebody. God provides this very specialized protection during that vulnerable time. So it's not going to happen. <laughs> so I want to say it's not true. There can't be a deceptive being there that is pretending to be an angel at the time of death. Yeah. Let's put our stamp on that. Cara, do you have anything to add to that? Amen. Um, yes. I think, uh, yes. Like Cara said, once you're dying and you're on the other side, um, the spiritual world is a world of honesty. And so, uh, the, I, and when we get to the world of spirits where we're going to be processed, the whole process is totally guarded by the highest angels about what we learn about ourselves and what we learn about the truth. Um, those, and, and what he describes about the, uh, that most of us go through this process immediately after death of being embraced by the most loving angels. And that when we're, we, when we're done with that, we sink down to sort of our own level where we start our purification process, but it's just, it's going to be all safe and protected at the beginning. And then we go through our own process when we are ready, when we get that off the left eye feeling of being led into more spiritual knowledge to, to face and to choose who am I? Um, but there's no, there's not a place for deceit in there. There might be some rubbing up against evil spirits um, so that we get clear about what we love, but there's not a place for deceit on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to throw in there that we, we have. So the first thing I was referring to is like, while you're still in this world and you might have some interaction with spirits, there can be some deception, but that's why uh, we have a show called, is it safe to talk to spirits? That's why it's, it's good to learn about like, what would an angel actually be like? What would an angel not be like? But that's a whole different thing than the death process. And no one needs to fear deception during the death process. And you intention is what moves you in the spiritual world. The, the whole setup of heaven and hell is to go to hell, you have to love hell. To go to heaven, you have to love heaven. And these are very distinct things. And this is a very, this is just like you try to take a biological organism and switch it from one species into another. You just can't do it. It's too complex. Swedenborg makes this point over and over. This is why God can't just take somebody who loves, who's built their life on exploiting and harming people and just bring them into heaven because it's about what you love. So you can't have this, this, you can't be tricked into hell or something bad in the spiritual world because that if you're not intending something, I, I'm going towards this light and I'm not intending to go to hell or be recycled on earth or whatever. You can't get pulled there because it, you, that's not your intent. Your intent is what puts you somewhere. And then my final thought on that is 
So I have a company, my, one of my favorite companies is called Nintendo and they make video games and they, they do a lot of really great things. One thing they do that not a lot of people are crazy about is they're very, very, they very guard very tightly their intellectual property. So if you decide I want to make like a fan YouTube channel with Mario in it, or I want to put some of their video games on my YouTube channel, they will probably come after you and make you take it down because they want to have control of their intellectual property, right? And they're good at it. Not a lot of Nintendo stuff gets, gets by without them saying so. So if Nintendo can guard its intellectual property, heaven, angels want nothing more than to teach people and lead them into heaven. That's their number one goal. This is, you're talking about at the point of sale. This is when we would be taking you into heaven after you die. And you're saying that there's another entity, Lucifer and all these, that are fraudulently impersonating heaven and, and stopping heaven from achieving its goal. The heaven's not going to be able to, to, to get out there and squash that operation. That is everything. Think about if you pretended you were Amazon. I mean, the, the, these big companies can come down on you and get you out of there. You think heaven can't do that? It, there's no way that at this most... If everything that God is doing is trying to bring you into heaven and light corresponds to heaven and you think you're going to heaven and there's somebody scooping well-meaning people who don't love hell off and go, to, of course, heaven wouldn't let that. They'd, they'd find that right away. So that's just another reason why that's not going to happen. It's going to be just fine. Um, so we saw oh, a teeny little follow-up question. Somebody asked about Howard, Sto Howard Storm's hellish spirit greeting because it seems like he's got these hellish spirits. I, we're so out of time that I'm just going to quickly fire this off, which is that that what he wasn't dead. It was a near-death experience and he wasn't tricked. He, he didn't have a choice. I mean, he, he didn't have a choice. That was like, this was part of his process. What he was going through was more like a spiritual temptation. This is not him actually dying. This is a spiritual growth process. Okay. I've talked to Howard Storm. I've had, we've had him on this channel twice, you know. Hey. Um, he would say it was teaching him something about himself and what he changes he had to make. And, and guess what? He didn't end up anywhere bad. He ended up like we had a bad time, but then he ended up in heaven right away and then came back here. And yeah, he wouldn't have been who he was without that. So it's very different than him being stolen away somewhere and kept. Okay. We got to go. I know we could do it forever. Thank you so much, everybody. I want to say thanks to our donors. We had $290 raised from six of you, two brand new. Welcome to our community of donors. The returning donors, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Hey, we're going to be back. I told you we're going to use that the, those funds to make content. Uh, this very Sunday, we've got Inside Off the Left Eye podcast comes out. And this episode is Find Your True Self Through Your Inner Connection to God. Next week, we have our break week as we get more content ready. But the following week, we'll be back with a brand new episode of our new show, Chasing Swedenborg, uh, where we focus on this idea that the Lord is the Son of Heaven. Thanks, Karin and Kara, for, for your wisdom and contributions. Thank you so much, everybody. Great questions. Uh, really enjoy interacting with you like this. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yes, I am surprised how fast an hour and a quarter can go. So fun to be here. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everyone. And uh, again, without you asking questions, we would have nothing to talk about. So hopefully you felt like you got something good out of the conversation. Can't wait to see you on whatever podcast or video or article you click on next. This was fun. Bye.